Hi gang, Morgan and Isabel here to share. We are looking for a new member for the WOE team to help us edit and cut episodes. If somebody you know, or you yourself, has experience with editing podcasts or even music and is interested in adding us to your portfolio, please reach out. Email womansmail at gmail.com with the subject line editor pretty basic understanding of sound editing software is a good starting point. Yeah, we want this to be mutually beneficial, meaning we'll be able to offer some compensation for your time and are open to supporting any creative goals you have and see how we can work together. Again, email womance, that's W-H-O-A-M-A-N-C-E, mail at gmail.com with the subject line editor. Mail as in mail a letter, not mail as in mister. (laughs) (laughs) Looking forward to hearing from you. recording and i after doing my little thing about my microphone distance i just immediately (laughs) uh came upon it listen don't fight what feels right i'll fix it in post it's my close pal and i just want to be near i get it just want to be near i get it it looks so phallic it does it looks that way because it is that way I'm Morgan. And I'm Isabeau. And this is Womance. A podcast about romance novels. About lighting the menorah. About being in Edinburgh. About having a horror. About keeping traditions alive in foreign climes. About the miracle of lights. About that hot person your dad hired to do his accounts. About the dangers of of alcoholism and how it relates to crime. This is another holiday story with an alcoholic who, like, does bad things. There are a lot of those. Another holiday story with an alcoholic, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Turns out this problem has been with us for a while. (laughs) Uh, But most of all, it's about that first thing. Romance novels. And ourselves. All right. Uh, This week, we are talking about yet another Highlander romance. Who wants to live forever? Obviously, we do with Highlander. There can only be more than one. (laughs) There can be as many as you can imagine. This week, we are reading A Highlander for Hanukkah by Lori Ann Bailey from the compendium of hanukkah romance short stories eight kisses eight all new tales of hanukkah romance edited by mindy klasky and Lori ann bailey who is the author of our first story so this is the back of the book for the for the general anthology it says hanukkah is the festival of lights celebrating an ancient miracle with candles fried foods and family gatherings what better time to find true love from regency scotland to contemporary new york city from sweet short stories to super spicy novellas, Eight Kisses spreads a feast of love. Interfaith opposites attract. A small town reunion offers a second chance. An interracial couple rises above initial misunderstandings. Online dating yields unexpected foodie dreams. A Jewish mourner discovers solace at a Catholic feast. A hometown visit heals old wounds. The girl next door is something more. Seasoned lovers reaffirm true love. Move over, Christmas movies. Bend the dreidel. Gobble the gelt. And devour a tower of latkes as you read these tales of Hanukkah love. Eight Kisses includes the following stories by USA Today bestselling authors, award-winning authors, and exciting debut authors. So we've got Lori Ann Bailey, Mindy Klasky, Rose Gray, Michelle Mars, J.T. Silver, Aaron Eisenberg, Lavinia Klein, and Lynn Silver. And the references that relate to the story that we read, we're doing two short stories this um, festive season. Um, which the one, okay, so we read the Highlander for Hanukkah, <laughs> Interfaith Opposites of Tract, and Regency Scotland are the two pieces that relate directly to the story we read. All of these stories in this anthology, I feel like are remarkably consistent for an anthology. Like, I think they're all about 40 pages. Yeah, and they're really, like, fun. Yeah, they're pretty light, I think it was, because uh, it's the Festival of Lights! It is. They're very celebratory, which is nice. Full disclosure, Isabeau and I are both goys. Yeah. And this is our first Hanukkah 
story that we've discussed on the podcast. On the war on Christmas, Christmas is clearly the aggressor. So (laughs) I think we're doing our part here to fight back against Christmas's hegemony. (laughs) And so... A lot of the left-wing nuts that are in the media, such as ourselves, are going to deny that there's a war on Christmas. Here at Womance, we're going to be honest with you. Absolutely, (laughs) there's a war on Christmas. Christmas is the aggressor. And we may just be privates, but we're ambitious. We're going to be generals by the end. As evidenced by our one Hanukkah story we discussed. We can only do better than we did before, right? So we're st- we, we are owning our mistakes. We're learning. Christmas is the aggressor. And we're trying to right the wrongs. Obviously, Thanksgiving is being held hostage. And we're going to figure that out next year. We, oh, my God. We're like the Benedict Arnold of Christmas. Or first person hung in these United States for treason, my personal hero, John Brown. We are the John Brown of Christmas. I was going to be like, oh, wait, I thought that was Nathaniel Hale, but it is John Brown because Nathan Hale was hung by the Brits. Yeah. Fascinating. All right, John Brown. We're the John. We're fighting Christmas. So we're. God, now that sounds way too lofty. (laughs) Listen. We're we're treasoning Christmas. We're treasoning against Christmas. We understand it's imperialism now in a way that we haven't before. <laughs> We're becoming radicalized in a church basement, ironically. <laughs> I don't, we've been radicalized. Wait, people are radicalized on Tumblr now. Or they were. Oh, God. They used to be. But now they're being radicalized in other spaces. YouTube, right? That's the one? YouTube and, Yeah. Because I I remember reading that YouTube had an especially circular algorithm. It does. It's a lot of people have done better podcasts than we will do on that very topic. So go ahead and pause this show. Find one of those. (laughs) Come back to us. And now we can talk about. Write us a brief synopsis. Email it to us. We'll wait and then we'll continue the recording. Okay. Yeah. So. Here we are, excited to talk about our first Hanukkah short story. So we actually did another, I didn't realize this until we started recording, but during Halloween this past year, we also did a story that was, I don't know if centered on Judaism, but definitely was a, Judaism was like a central theme in that Halloween story, which we really loved, A Man of Taste. And uh, yeah, what's what's this short story about? <laughs> the back of the book wasn't all that descriptive it's a highlander for hanukkah we meet our female main character shoshana in edinburgh in 1807 she's had to leave london because her grandmother died and now she's helping her father run a shop in edinburgh it's the beginning of hanukkah is when we meet her and there have been a rash of what seem at the outset to be anti-Semitic burglaries and even a murder. And so her dad's number one accountant guy, James, shows up on the first night of Hanukkah to be like, hey, y'all, you okay? Did you bolt your doors? Just want to make sure you're safe. And thus the romance begins. Yeah, so she's James is really dreamy. And he's he's really dreamy in like the traditional like, tad hather kind of way like he's tall and blonde and blue-eyed yes yeah he's very much a gentile hot in the gentile kind of way which is the very typical gentile way (laughs) yeah and he also they use the highlander dialect so it's a lot of denae and ken there is one paragraph that is absolutely full of the phrase kin, meaning like no, as in I don't kit, I didn't kit. It's just, yeah, it's constant. Dinniken, I don't know. A dinniken. <laughs> it is constant. And for such a short book, it is very, very noticeable. He's also classic TMTM good man in the sense that his parents died and he had to run the farm and he only had younger sisters and he made sure that all of his sisters were married and taken care of before he could pursue his dreams in the big city. Of being an accountant. Right. Hey, listen, his dreams aren't your dreams. They're not my dreams either. (laughs) But he had them and he pursued them and he waited a reasonable amount of time to make sure that none of his sisters would starve. 
Accountant has come to be TikTok slang for any kind of like sex worker because one woman who was making a lot of money on OnlyFans, someone was like, how do you talk to people about your work? And she was like, oh, I just tell people I'm an accountant and like no one asks any follow-up questions. And then someone wrote a song kind of loosely based on that, but they were like an out-of-work actor who didn't want to talk about it or a struggling actor. Then it just took off. That's so funny. I think accountant is like the... It makes total sense to me that someone would do that because it's like such a nothing burger of a job. Like, what's your follow up? Like, oh, spreadsheets. Right. Or like, are you a fiduciary? I don't know what that that means. What does that even mean? I I know we're at a party, but like, would you explain to me what fiduciary means real quick? I saw it on John Oliver last year and I remember it being important, but I don't remember why. And then like, they get like two sentences in and I'm like staring at a wall into the middle distance. I don't know. And it's not that accountants are boring. It's just that their job is boring. But this accountant in this story, pretty boring. Yep, pretty boring. Pretty just hot in the way that like, which I think is realistic. I think most hot people are boring. They haven't needed a personality. And in James's case, he couldn't get one because he was worried about his sisters who were orphaned. Yes, that's true. His whole personality was James has orphan sisters. (laughs) James, good man, personality. (laughs) Yeah, James, orphan (laughs) sisters, his last name. So he, it turns out his like attraction to Shoshana is mutual or Shoshana's attraction to him is mutual. He thinks she's quite the beauty. And uh, he is invited to spend the first night of Hanukkah. And each chapter is a different night of Hanukkah. About halfway, and James starts going to her family home each night. And then like halfway through, her dad has to go out of town. And James is really worried about her vulnerability. And so he starts spending the night at her house. And then he has her over to his house. And then the danger just gets ratcheted up. So then they're like having sex at her house. It's a classic like my parents are out of town kind of love story. And and they do decide that they're going to get married even though he's Catholic and she's Jewish. And she's really – she keeps saying in her internal monologue like there's no way we could work out because he would – want to raise children Catholic Um, and then he's like no that's not true we could raise them in your faith as long as we could tell them about Catholicism at some point so that they could make up their own mind and I love that binary for those children (laughs) I love that binary for those children too and there's a very relatable line in this text where he's just support like he's supportive of her faith and her religion And he shows it to her in a manifold of ways like, you know, he asks about like, oh, like what was Lady Luminora like and like what kinds of recipes do you have? And like, I heard about the synagogue down the way. Do you want to go? I'd walk you there if you wanted. Yeah. And she's just tickled pink that he even knows where the synagogue is. And I was like, for 1807, Edinburgh. Yeah, I'm going to give this one to you. That's like that's a good way to show that he's paying attention. Also, I got like I, I really enjoyed a little slice of history where she makes like a fried cheese pancake and then she's like I've heard about people in Eastern Europe doing newfangled fried potato pancakes mm-hmm. and it was fun because it was like I know about those those are latkes yeah I liked that too <laughs> <laughs> and potatoes are a new world vegetable yeah. so they didn't make it to the continent until after yeah so it was cheese curds up until it was latkes sound off in the comments would you rather have a latka or a fried cheese a mozzarella stick a cheese curd. Also, you don't have to live in this binary like the children have to choose between Catholicism and Judaism. You can have both. If he, so they end up together, spoiler alert, happily ever after. Um, if they end up having kids and he leads with the outfits that the Catholics wear, she needs to stop trusting him because he's obviously trying to wield undue influence over the children. Because if you start with the outfits and the decorations, 
get out of here. Totally agree. Like, it's absolutely, if you start with that and not, like, the shame, the guilt, and the purgatory. Yeah. And if you don't, like, talk about, like, the um, bat mitzvah, right? Like, obviously. It's so funny. My mom grew up wishing that she had been, she's, she grew up Southern Baptist, and she grew up wishing she had been raised Catholic because it's so fancy. Um, and I grew up wishing that we had been raised Jewish because... I thought it was so fancy. And like you couldn't convince me that Hanukkah wasn't eight nights of Christmas, gift-wise. <laughs> Similar experience. Final line of this story is just like the most final line of any Hanukkah-based romance short story you could ever imagine. Mm-hmm. And God, I'm so excited. He reminds her, so in the eighth night of Hanukkah, they have a final boss battle with the alcoholic who's been stealing from the local money lenders, like her father. They, they give a big, James and her decide they're going to get married and they have a big kiss. And then he reminds her that she's forgetting something. She's like, what am I forgetting? He says, the menorah. I need to see all the wicks lit. I want to celebrate your people's miracle and my own. And what miracle is that? She smiled. Finding ye. That's so sweet. This is this is a, a romance that does involve sex scenes, but they're pretty mild. I was even surprised that they existed at all, honestly. I thought this was going to be an entirely like fade to black closed door yeah. uh, sex scene because it is quite sweet. It's full of book tingles, but it's not steamy. I, I kind of wish it would have relied more on building that like sexual tension as opposed to like having the actual sexual release especially because like the sex scene in the story like it's not bad it's just like not remarkable and I was reading it and I was like why is this this way like I wouldn't say it's bad but I would say it's like you know and I would even say it's like inoffensive Uh, but it just like rang like so much so many other sex scenes and so many other books I will say there is enough, there is a line here in the sex scene. He smiled and started moving in and out, caressing her insides with his staff, <laughs> rubbing against the sev- sensitive part of her junction with the friction of his pelvis. And I was like, I know what all those words mean in yeah. Congress together. It's like, it's kind of mad libby. <laughs> it is. It's mad libby. It's sort of taking like too many innu not innuendos, but like we got staff junction friction. At one point, it says he like massaged her opening with the tip of his penis, and I was like, I know what that means. Like, it doesn't say tip of his penis, manhood, and I'm like, I I know what that means, but it's just like a lot of like alphabet soup. But instead of an alphabet, it's right poetic terms for genitals. It's an explicit sex scene using non-explicit language. And, like, there's also something about, like, massage her insides with his staff that still sounds like <laughs> rearranged her guts. You know what I mean? Yes, I do, because I highlighted it and was like, <laughs> I don't like what's happening here. With terminology, we genuinely think that, like, penises are, like, going very deep into our anatomy. And they're really not. They're really not that big. Mm-mm. They're not going to rearrange your insides. They're, yeah, yeah, yeah. Remarkably, we've evolved away from uh, sexual reproduction being like the act being like super dangerous. Also, like I've I've decided that I I never need to see the word staff as it relates to a man's penis again because like only in this discussion have I like if it's truly a staff, it's a handheld staff, and like a staff is like a sturdy, very long friar tuck weapon. So like, why are we referring to penises uh-huh. in this way at all? Because it's a handheld staff, which isn't going to get you very far because it's not even like a truncheon, you know? It's like, which would make more sense. Yeah. But nobody wants to be fucked by a truncheon. Genuinely, like, they're so delicate. That's true, too. And I'm trying to think of, like, what would be a better innuendo than staff that takes into... (laughs) What are those things that they, in England, when you get, like, a whip and they put, like, a little chocolate thing in it and what do they call like a, a vanilla whip like a vanilla ice cream cone and then they put a little chocolate what's it called people are screaming i don't know it's lit it's all i can think of well thank god vice has a guide Ugh. 
Otherwise, we'd be here all day. Flake. It's called a chocolate flake. Flake 99. That's not going to take. That's not going to. I think it would be. No, we should. Because men are out here. They're getting hurt. They have flaky penises. Well, they're a lot more delicate than a staff. Absolutely. We absolutely need to change our cultural framework and our cultural language. You know, they're running around with their you know jock straps and their athletic cups and then they're calling it a staff i don't think so i don't think you need to protect a staff with a quarter inch piece of plastic (laughs) the staff is the quarter inch piece of plastic do you know what does need to be protected penises a chocolate flake i'm gonna mull this over what else i don't know what's like a delicate phallical thing like i was thinking blown glass but that doesn't like quite capture it i I need to think about this listeners if you have suggestions send them in i don't think anyone's gonna come up with something better than a chocolate flake (laughs) (laughs) i think i think we've done it frankly Mm. I'm not quite satisfied, but just that's, I can't think of anything better. So like, that's what we're going to go with. You know, let's not make better the enemy of good right now. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Yeah. So he's got his staff and his um, manhood. And you have said that before. You have previously said, I'm not interested in reading the term staff as it relates to a penis. I just think that even medieval weaponry as referring to a penis is like not my jam in general. We've also described how a penis is not like a staff. So that like irritates me on some very petty level. I think the other part of it is like I'm sensitive to romance being made fun of in the culture. And one of the things that romance is made fun of for in the culture is like a throbbing staff of a manhood. (laughs) And it's like we can literally just edit it out and then people will stop teasing us for it. Yeah, that's so true. Well, this is like this reminds me of the last book we read by Julie Garwood in a lot of ways, not just in the Highlander way, but in the way that this short story is is full of kind of like the romancy romance novel thing. But it honestly like is almost like a compendium of classical phrases. For some reason, I found that like a little less endearing here. And I don't know why. Maybe it's because I just read it. Maybe it's because this is like a newer story or maybe it's because I feel like short fiction is a place to kind of like get weird if you can. Also really like exercise your character building. Like I don't, I didn't really connect with the characters. I learned some facts about the world they lived in, e.g. cheese pancakes, but I didn't really feel like immersed Like, it talked about how he had a table in a marketplace as an accountant. I would like to know more about that. Like, what's that about? Although I think the assumption is a lot of romance readers already know a lot of Scottish history. (laughs) Maybe, but that seemed highly specific. I, too, had questions about that. Yeah, this book, I think it, it was checking a lot of boxes. And that framework felt really visible to me as well. I will say that I was transported when James showed up after her dad was like mysteriously and coincidentally called away to Glencoe or whatever to look at his goods during Hanukkah. Do you think the alco- the raging alcoholic created a fake? No. I mean, I don't know. Like, that's like, that also feels very much like a loose end, but I'll save that for my weirdest part. He invites her to his house and, like, they walk to the stable and he's sort of got, like, his hand in her hand and then he, like, helps her up on the horse and then they ride out into the night. You know, he's enveloped her tiny, beautiful body on his, like, gorgeous horse and in his tartan and then he just, like, shows her his little house and he's, like, bought dinner for her. And he's like, you know, I know you cook all the time and I know it's probably not as good as what you cook, but I don't really cook for myself. So like because he got so tired of cooking for his orphan sisters, old James Orphy sisties. Yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) And so he like, you know, bought this picnic for them. And I thought that was quite sweet. Um, I think the exact phrase is like, so he really appreciated this easy meal. And I was like, ye old Hot Pockets. <laughs> ye old Hot Pockets. He put a lot of effort into it. He thought about it. Yeah. Hot Pocket. <laughs> hot Pocket. I love hand pies. And that's all a Hot Pocket really is. 
I bought myself a box of Hot Pockets, and I don't own a microwave, and I have been uh, slow baking them them HPs, and uh, gotta say, nothing slaps like the hits. I love a ham and cheese Hot Pocket. I love um, a hamburger helper beef stroganoff, second place, double cheeseburger macaroni. These are foods I love. I love that you said nothing slaps like the hits, and I think that's true, but that's also the premise that this short story is working on. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is actually like kind of like sparking some stuff for me because I get really resentful whenever people, you know, obviously given what we do here, like we're not really, we don't really cotton much to that concept of guilty pleasures. But I am, despite what I just said, pretty my guilty pleasure is a ham and cheese hot pocket like I don't just volunteer that information people ask me what my last meal would be and I'm like biscuits and sausage gravy it's probably a ham and cheese hot pocket like (laughs) like, and um one time I was at a schmancy restaurant and I was having this pasta dish and it was so good and so comforting and I was like talking to the chef and I had a couple drinks and I was like this reminds me of hamburger helper and I meant it as like a very genuine compliment and this is probably where a lot of my trust issues come from he was just like disgusted and he was clearly disgusted with me because I was like no I love hamburger helper I would never say anything mean and um, just, like, awful. Awful feelings all around. And so, like, in my head, I'm like, you know, no guilty pleasures. Nothing slaps like the hits. <laughs> but at the same time, like, I understand where that chef was coming from. You, were, you like, go to culinary school. And you, like, live in, like, a different country so that you can, like, master these specialized techniques and, like... And <laughs> Some like bimbo comes in and is like, oh, it's just like Hamburger Helper. Good job, guy. I'm glad you went on all that journey to make $12 a plate Hamburger Helper. Good job. And I think like part of my hang up with like the reason I get so like jazzed about like avant-garde romance is because in actuality, like I don't actually want that much Hamburger Helper. But I don't mind, like, the $12 a plate hamburger helper in between. This has been great. That's a perfect analogy. (laughs) (laughs) I think what I love most about both that story and where this this short story was uh, not as well executed is that you're describing a feeling of home and comfort, right? Like, when you have hamburger helper, it isn't just the taste. It's, like, all of the memories that are awake for you then in your body. Yeah. And are familiar and comforting. And this short story makes those moves. I recognize them, but it's, like, a bad cover of something that I really like. And it's, like, I'm not going to turn the channel. I'm definitely going to listen to this cover. And I'm, like, oh, that's the choice you made. Yeah, it's, like, it's not conscious of what makes the things that it's doing good. Yes. And I think it's missing that, like, it. there actually needs to be, like, this pretty rich umami underpinning to make things like his staff was rearranging her guts work well. Like, I don't care about the staff. I don't care about the guts. That's just a weird turn of phrase now. And I think that I think like, yeah, there's like a little bit of slippage in terms of like character building in this story. Absolutely. And I think it relied pretty heavily on the tension of this alcoholic who is committing these pretty egregious acts of violence on what felt like at the beginning of the story, an insular Jewish community. And since this text came out in 2019, I felt like the text was priming me for that. Everything about the editor's note, everything about the author's note. I felt like I was pretty primed. Like this guy is banging on the door. At one point, the menorah is knocked off the windowsill. And I was like, okay, I think I I know what's happening. And then it turns out that it's just a drunk who can't pay his debts, which felt like it took a lot of the tension out of the story especially since that was the primary driver of tension since their sexual tension was resolved on the sixth night of Hanukkah and we still had two nights to go so the the author's note talks about 
historical persecution in England of Jewish people and kind of gives a brief overview. And then the story itself does discuss this. Like she talks about having to go to church or to mass once a week in order to be allowed to like practice her true religion freely. Yeah, what an interesting law. Like, come to our church. We'll force you so that you have to do your all your other stuff. But you're definitely going to like us better because, like, the more you're exposed to, like, angry the outfits, <laughs> the incense, the little snack halfway through. That's definitely going to convert you. Yeah, yeah. Forget about the cannibalism part of it. Don't worry about it. Little cracker. Little booze, a wink. Yes, even the kids get some. <laughs> Come on yes, up. Yes, even the kids get some. They have to kneel in front of a grown man in a green dress in order to receive it, but yeah. With gold vestments. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a guy in like a very special outfit. <laughs> it, yeah, but uh, they do. They get like a little bit of booze for the babies. Keeps them quiet during the homily. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, the idea, yeah, and th- th- they were like, this is going to convert you. People have a lot of confidence in their own belief systems. That's true. People have a lot of confidence. But I think this is kind of opening a, a pathway here for a weirdest part for you. What's your weirdest part? So my weirdest part was Gordon, the drunk, who is set up to be... I mean, he holds her at gunpoint on the very first page. Like, we open in a scene of action. The man with the gun who's just been holding her at gunpoint has just been tackled by James. She ushers James upstairs for the first night of Hanukkah, uh, dresses his wee wounds, and then he gets to feel how soft her hands are, and she gets to feel how strong his hands are. And from that very first scene of quite scary violence, like she was held up at gunpoint, it's 1807 in Edinburgh, like that, the tension of the town was already at a nine. And then each night it ramped up, like somebody's banging on the door, somebody's fucked up the menorah. And then, you know, that's also creates the excuse for James to like come over each day and be like, hey, girl, you okay? Sorry, this is happening to you, Shoshana. Also, all those that that other uh, Jewish man and his whole family was murdered the month before, which feels like a huge escalation in tension when we find that out. And then there's more banging on the door. And then the door is actually broken and the back room is rifled through, even though nothing is taken. But I've got like this murdered Jewish family on my mind. Yeah. And then Gordon's just like, I want the money. Yeah. And, like, doesn't bring her religion into it at all. And I was like, well, on the one hand, maybe that's good, right? Because the persecution here is just, like, simple fucking larceny. But on the other hand, why did the whole family have to be murdered? Yeah, that's pretty high-stakes stuff. I mean, like, I can see – I think what's important is that the author's note is making, like, specific – is calling particular attention to anti-Semitic law – um, and so I think that's important whenever we talk about it. because like if you read the story as I did without reading the author's note, I didn't have that feeling of like assuming it was anti-Semitic. I thought it was like within this community. Oh, it's that like obviously I knew it was the like drunk guy who our hero James was like, I need to remember to tell my clients not to work with this guy because he's fallen behind on payments on account of all his boozing and that like, you know. People can get robbed and murdered and have it not be about their religion or their race, you know, and unfortunately, um, and then people with marginalized identities also have to worry about getting murdered for their marginalized identities. But the yeah, but the author does call that particular attention to that. And this kind of gets to my weirdest part, which is this like for uh, this like more than suggested parallelism between the persecution of Jews and the persecution of Catholics in England. And I think that misses... So were Catholic people persecuted in the United Kingdom? Yes. And they yes. they still are in Northern Ireland. I don't think like the troubles are really completely resolved. I think there's like a lot of tension there. Yes. But I think like there's a real difference because the persecution of Jewish people is definitely based on like is like a religious belief and a cultural attitude and like 
all of these other things. And it's also global because Judaism didn't have like a nation state. It didn't have like land until post-World War II, like a specific country dedicated to it. And so a lot of what England was doing was basic good old-fashioned land grabbing and cultish control by regulating what religion people could have and that and it was really like a means to an end of a land grab so these are like the the persecution of catholics is a way of subjugating people in order to justify taking their land i feel like the persecution of jewish people is more hate-based or like doesn't really have that kind of like taxable income backbone to it sure And, like, the Catholics were never expelled in the same way that the Jewish people were expelled from the island of England itself. And in large part, like, as you say, it wasn't just, like, a land grab. It was also a way to bring Catholic nobles to heel and make them less powerful in court as King Henry VIII created the Church of England so that he could divorce Catherine and marry Anne Boleyn. Like, a lot of people at court didn't like that. And he's like, oh, you don't like that? Let me take all your money and your land and your hereditary title so your son can't inherit yeah and now i'm gonna give that to somebody who's loyal to me who has a son who can now inherit it yeah like there were people in the nobility people with influence who had who held catholic faith like catholicism had a nation state in the holy roman empire like the absolutely it's, it's just like it's not the same thing and like saying that like james gets it because he has a crucifix i'm like i i think maybe perhaps james has empathy for persecution but it's like i don't it's not the same thing <laughs> it's not the same thing this is a, an own voices text and we're obviously talking about this from a very like intellectualized i mean less distance for you because you did grow up in not the roman catholic church but in like the greek orthodox church a part of that yeah close more closely hewn than i was <laughs> uh but i i think like you know from like a, th- a third person standpoint that's a very generous uh excuse and like i kind of hate that he had like that this excuse is built in for him to be empathetic and not just that, like, she's a human being and he's a human being. The fact that, like, there has to be this reasoning of, like, he has also had this religious persecution part of things, even though... And he acknowledges in the text, like, it's different vibes. He does acknowledge it's different vibes. But even in the acknowledging of the different vibes, it's like... He's such a good man for understanding. Yeah. Romance is just a reflection of our culture at large. And we say that all the time. And our culture at large gives hetero men so much credit. And in fact, just like men in general, so much credit for doing so little, especially like emotional labor. And I think the fact that this text needs to give a reason why someone who isn't Jewish could identify with a Jewish person and want to like fall in romantic love with them is like a symptom of that. And it's also a symptom of like, it's like the other having to other (laughs) in order to feel justified and being attracted to someone from the zeitgeist. Yeah, I think that's right. People saying like all, you know, we all have hard times. And like, I think that really only qualifies on like a personal feelings basis. And if you're talking about like that you feel persecuted and that's like the totality of how you can understand persecution on a personal level and you for some reason that makes it okay for you to assume that everyone has had no better or no worse than an experience than you as, like, a person who has suffered, like, we all suffer equally. Like, no, that's bullshit. We do not all suffer equally because some of us are suffering under institutionalized problems, you know? And guess what? You can, in a lot of ways, quantify institutionalization. <laughs> like, it's it's pretty easy to draw comparisons, and it does matter. And so being, like, We all suffer, so we should all understand. Like, maybe I think a greater exercise in empathy is being like, I will never understand that. And then 
maybe being like a little bit grateful for your privilege and saying like, what can I do to like help other people experience the world as I have instead of just assuming you've had a global experience. This book didn't have all that, but it reminded me of all that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that was one of the things that was most irritating to me about James, especially because like there was one of those moments where I felt like the text was making a statement rather than either of the characters because everything that we have on the page of James, he doesn't seem particularly religious. He has a crucifix in his home, but he doesn't wear one. Yeah. He doesn't talk about going to church. He doesn't talk about his own holy days, one of which Christmas would have been coming up. Do you know what you should have made him? Atheist. Right? That would have been amazing. And he definitely would have been highly persecuted in Scotland (laughs) at the time for being an atheist. Or just like, maybe he's agnostic. He's like, I go to church because my dead parents thought it was important, but it's not very important to me. I'd love to know more about your religion. Of course, let's raise your children, our children in it. Because like, it seems to have done a lot for you and your dad. Yeah. End of story. Not the whole like, I want them to choose between being Catholic and Jewish. It's like, not really. Um, They don't have to choose. Not many of those holidays like conflict. Yeah, I just think, like, yeah. Like, imagine you, like, Jewish friend introduces you to her new boyfriend. And she's like, yeah, he's going to come and spend the first night of Hanukkah with my family. And I'll be like, oh, wow. James, how do you feel about spending the first night of Hanukkah with Shoshana's family? And James, deadass, looks at you in your happy hour glazed eyes and says oh I'm really excited I actually relate a lot because I'm Catholic to the persecution specifically to the persecution and it's like what would you say you would be like Shoshana this fucker red flag Shoshana red flag run and I know it's a historical romance but like historical romances are never all that historic (laughs) that was my weirdest part let's turn Let's turn up the thermostat on this chilly Hanukkah episode. Chilly in the Northern Hemisphere Hanukkah episode. What is your sexiest part? Well, it can't be the sex scene. (laughs) My sexiest part is basically the whole picnic as we've talked about he buys the hot pockets from the local baker and then not only he gets bread and cheese by the way (laughs) it's bread and cheese and a little bit of sweet meat and some wine and he takes her out to his cabin because she grew up outside the city of london and she said in one of their conversations that she'd really miss the stars and so his cabin outside of edinburgh is far enough away that like the city lights don't impede the starlight and so he lays a blanket down on the you know heath and she staring up at it and of course it's all in his perspective so he's staring at her and she's like super beautiful and ethereal and just he's just like one of those moments where like a man appreciating a woman's beauty but also all of the intellectual things that he likes about her like her strength and her faith and he thinks about like how strong and ready to do work she is even though like that hasn't been present in their relationship. The fact that he thought it, I thought was nice. And so like, you know, he just like holds her hand in the starlight and she like is really grateful for this experience. And it was, it spoke to how well he as a character had understood the things that she'd said and just like, you know, hammered home that he's a good listener. All ye James of the Orphan Sisters. He with the orphan sisters had to learn how to listen <laughs> to women on the streets of the highlands. My sexiest part was the longing in the early early parts, um, where they're each kind of guessing at each other's feelings and being made hopeful. And I think one of the reasons I think it was so sexy is that there wasn't any of this like false uh negative where they're like oh he turned away from me it must mean he doesn't like me like everything kind of was like encouraging and this is like a very comforting short story you know I think like part of the fact that it's like not saying it it's not doing like comparisons of oppression the fact that it's not making the like crimes religiously motivated 
um the sex scene being as it is like it's very much like a comfort read but I think my comfort as we discovered on the Amish episode god forgive me is you know like having a crush and and those longing moments those accidental touches and so I think that's part of the reason why when they're you know, whenever he shows up to her house and she's just made chicken soup and I'm like, oh, my God, they're going to have chicken soup together. And he's like, oh, my God, is he going to invite her, me to have some of the chicken soup? And she's like, oh, my God, is he going to want some of my chicken soup? Like, I love that stuff. And they do. And it's so sweet. Maybe not necessarily sexy, but definitely sparkly. Yeah. It's tingly. It's It's tingly. Yeah. And that's honestly, like, for all this uh, short story shortcomings, that's kind of how it feels. It feels like twinkling lights in a warm window, like when you're cold. Like, one of the things that I love most about this particular part of the season is that even when I'm cold and walking home, if somebody has lights on in a window, I feel warm inside. And, like, this book did a good job of evoking those feelings. All right. Well, uh, anything else you want to say about the book before final thoughts? No, plumb out. Womance or no mance? This is a good question. <laughs> because, so I read a few other stories in this collection. So as a collection, I think it's definitely worth it on Kindle if Hanukkah is a space that you're looking to investigate. This story in particular as a womance? Yeah. No, but I didn't regret reading it. It's just that I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to other people. <laughs> so I hung out with a friend today and she's working in with different cultural institutions around the city and one of the things one of the personal projects she set out for herself as part of this new job is to read a novel um written by someone who belongs to each of the different cultural entities she represents but one of her stipulations is it can't be all bad feeling right like it can't be a narrative of total you know like it can't have loss and stuff but it can't be about like like she had a hard time because finding like a book um from cambodia that wasn't just about you know the killing fields yeah the killing fields and i told her i was like you know what i would just search cambodian romance novel because romance is a place and we wrote about this and have talked about it before especially as it relates to black fiction that when you're reading books about cultures outside of your own it's important to not I think history teaches us a lot about a lot more maybe not necessarily a lot but a lot more about oppression and that stuff's important to learn and important to know about but you can't have you know a single story about any group of people and I feel like mm -hmm, romance is a great place to read joyful stories and like for example even though there's tension in this short story it's still overall a joyful story I feel like it was overall like it it could have been stronger with character building um it could have been it could have been a better romance and so it is a nomance this story but this I, I think I want to read more short stories from this collection especially because they're just 40 pages each and you know, get more invested in the fact that, like, <laughs> you know, Jewish people can be victims of crimes that aren't anti-Semitic. Like, that's something that's worth saying in fiction. It is worth saying in fiction. Saying, you know, I think I think it really doesn't fucking matter that he's, like, Catholic and Catholics are oppressed. But I think, you know, demonstrating that two people of different faiths can come together and have, like, a crush on each other and it not be this, like... Oh, our families are fighting and they'll never accept us. Um, and so I think this short story, even though it's not my favorite romance short story, I think is emblematic of one of the things I really love about romance, which is like you get stories of of good feeling and levity and you don't think of a culture as having nothing but cultures absolutely 100% do have a lot of space for like celebration, love and light because you know they are cultures and that's part of it and it's not just a holocaust discussion, right? Or even 
all of the, you know, the casting out of the Jewish people from the British Isles and things like that. Yeah, I think you make a really good point that both pleasure and joy can also be sites of resistance. Um, that pleasure is political. And I don't mean that to sound as woo-woo as it may, but that <laughs> remembering and exemplifying and sharing and reveling in joy can be a site of resistance. But also, like, maybe maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just joy. I yeah. also think that showing that that everyone can have a Highlander, like that that trope too is for you. <laughs> yeah, thank God. Uh, yes, that trope is for you. That trope is for anybody. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think like reading a short, and I think um, A Man of Taste does a much better job of this. Yes. You can read about another culture, identify with it, experience it and it doesn't have to be political and it doesn't have to be fraught right like you can have that experience as like you know of of discovery and shared empathy um for happiness yeah all right any other thoughts no this was delightful thank you for talking about it with me (laughs) thank you for talking about it with me um our next episode is going to be a christmas episode (laughs) (laughs) Because on the war on Christmas, Christmas is the aggressor and we too are all (laughs) marching to her imperial whim. (laughs) Why is she a woman? Christmas? I don't know, because I'm sick of Santa. With that, loosen your stays. But never your principles. We want to take a second to thank you for supporting Womance by listening to our podcast. One great way that you can continue supporting us, including those listens, is hitting subscribe, telling a friend, leaving a review. That stuff all really matters. Sharing it on your personal social media is another great way to spread the word about Womance. And another option for supporting us, if we may be so bold, is to recommend going to our Patreon where you can donate as little as a dollar a month to help us spread the word of woe. If you want to contribute more than a dollar a month, which obviously no pressure, whatever you've got, we are so appreciative to have, but we have awesome gifts for you. If you want a hand addressed letter from Morgan and Isabeau, maybe with some special woe stickers, other merch, just uh, visit our Patreon. We are Womance on Patreon, or is it patreon.com forward slash Womance? We would be... Very proud to call you one of our patrons. Woli guacamole, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of Womance. Womance is hosted, produced, and edited by my friend Morgan. And by my friend Isabel. Our logo artwork is by another friend, Mary Reichman. You can find her on Instagram at m.reichman, spelled R-E-I-S-C-H-M-A-N-N. Original music by Nick Gravelin. And our webmistress is Jane Bonsack. They're the best. You're also the best. We so appreciate your support by listening. Please consider taking this to the next level by following, rating, and reviewing. We read every single review. Or even check us out on Patreon. If you'd like more woe in your life, you can connect with us on Instagram at womance and on Twitter where we are at mans underscore woe. Or you can find more episodes and content at womancepodcast.com. If you have an idea or just want to reach out, please email womancemail at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Romance is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts to add to your romance collection at frolic.media backslash podcasts. Until next time.